Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, August 26th, and I'm Leslie Palma. And I'm Teresa Watson. We're coming to you tonight from our homes as we are both recovering from COVID. But as they say, the show must go on. Tonight, I will talk about how pro-abortion advocates are using ballot amendments to protect abortion access. I'll be sharing all of the primary results that occurred this week, as well as the results from a new generic poll in political news in a nutshell. I will catch you up on the latest abortion bans to be enacted in the states in Abortion in the News. We'll explain the importance of several key state Senate races, and Father Frank will offer us some encouragement about these races. Be sure to stay tuned till the end when we meet Laura Lynn Hughes, whose unplanned pregnancy at age 15 gave her life purpose. Florida is the latest state to consider asking voters to decide whether their state constitution protects or does not protect babies in the womb. The Protect Human Life Florida Committee has received approval from the Florida Department of State to move forward with a proposed constitutional amendment that would say, quote, the right to life of the preborn individual is God-given, thus unalienable, and recognized accordingly. Therefore, it shall not be infringed at any stage of development. The proposal would include an exception for, quote, the undertaking of life-saving procedures to save the life of the mother when accompanied by reasonable steps to save the life of the preborn individual. The committee would need to submit nearly 900,000 petition signatures to get on the 2024 ballot. It then would need approval from at least 60% of the state's voters. In August, a constitutional amendment in Kansas called Value Them Both sought to protect the unborn, but it lost in a landslide that was just confirmed in a recount. That was an unexpected setback for pro-life Kansans who are now preparing for their state to become an abortion destination for women in surrounding states that have banned or restricted abortion. This November, voters in another five states will decide on ballot amendments concerning abortion. Michigan, California, and Vermont are looking to enshrine abortion rights, while Kentucky voters will be asked if they want to add a new section to the Constitution that would say, to protect human life, nothing in this Constitution shall be construed to secure or protect a right to abortion or require the funding of abortion. In Montana, voters will weigh in on a state statute known as the Medical Care Requirements for Born Alive Infants Measure, calling for infants born alive at any stage of development to be considered legal persons and requiring life-saving medical care for babies born alive after an induced labor, C-section, or abortion. Abortion is legal in Montana until 20 weeks. Pro-lifers have used ballot amendments to safeguard babies in their states for the last decade. In 2014, voters in Tennessee agreed that nothing in their constitution secures or protects a right to abortion or requires the funding of abortion and gave state lawmakers the right to pass laws restricting the deadly procedure. Alabama and West Virginia followed suit in 2018 and Louisiana in 2020. But this year represents the first time since 1992 that pro-abortion advocates have used ballot amendments to protect abortion access. That year, Maryland shielded abortion from state interference, ensuring it would continue to be one of the most abortion-friendly states in the nation. And now we turn to political news. On Tuesday, Democrat and longtime politician Charlie Crist won the primary for governor in Florida and will face Republican Governor Ron DeSantis in, do- in November. DeSantis was unopposed on the Republican side. Crist ran against Nikki Freed, who was unapologetically pro-choice. Crist served as Florida's Republican governor more than a decade ago and is now a Democrat in the U.S. House of Representatives. 
Crist made his thoughts clear that his sights are set on defeating DeSantis. Chris said a woman's right to choose is on the ballot. Here is what Chris said he would do on day one if he wins in November. On day one of my administration, I will sign an executive order protecting a woman's right to choose. The Senate race between Republican incumbent Senator Marco Rubio and Democrat Representative Val Demings is on. Demings won her primary on Tuesday in Florida, and Rubio was unopposed, setting up a race that Republicans believe they should easily win, but one that offers Democrats yet another chance to show they can still win statewide in a place that crept right for years. Like many Democrats, Demings is also hoping the anger in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade will propel her to an unlikely victory. For the first time in modern history, Florida has more voters registered Republicans than Democrats. Democrat Pat Ryan won a special election Tuesday in a swing district in New York's Hudson Valley. This seat has been closely watched as the country's best bellwether this summer. Ryan's television ads hammered on the need to elect a representative who would fight for abortion rights. Generic ballots have been making the news race recently. Some say the generic ballot is one of the most predictive and accurate polls when it comes to congressional and presidential elections. So what is the generic ballot? It's a political poll that asks not which candidate you plan to vote for to represent you in Congress or for president, but rather which political party, Democrat, Republican, or independent, you would vote for if the election were held today. It's called a generic ballot precisely because it includes no specific names of candidates. In recent generic ballots, as reported in The Hill, Democrats held a slight edge in state legislature in battleground states of Michigan, Colorado, and Nevada, according to a new poll commissioned by the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee and conducted by the left-leaning public policy polling. The breakdown went like this. 48% of Michigan voters said they would vote for the Democrat candidate. 43 said they would pick Republican. In Colorado, 48% said they would pick Democrat candidate, while 45% they would pick a Republican. 46% of Nevada voters said they would select a Democratic candidate, while 43% said they would pick a Republican. A Rasmussen poll conducted August 7th through the 11th showed 46% of respondents said they would pick a Republican in a generic ballot, compared with only 43% who said they would pick a Democrat. North Carolina Republicans still enjoy a generic ballot edge, five points for General Assembly and three points for Congress. Republican candidates are also leading their Democratic opponents in two critical races for North Carolina Supreme Court. And that's political news in a nutshell. A day before it was to be enacted, a federal judge in Idaho blocked part of the state's strict abortion ban on Wednesday, ruling that doctors in the state cannot be punished for acting to protect the health of endangered mothers. The rest of the law, which bans most abortions, is in effect. The judge's block will remain in place until a challenge to the law brought by the Biden administration is resolved. Tennessee enacted its near-total abortion ban on Thursday. Late-term abortionist Leroy Carhart, who kills babies in Nebraska and Maryland, is under investigation after a 35-year-old woman suffered massive injuries during an abortion in his facility in Bellevue, Nebraska in February. 
A witness told Operation Rescue that surgeons in the hospital to which she was transported worked for hours to save the woman's life. Carhartt has been involved in the abortion-related deaths of two women. Kristen Gilbert, who had Down syndrome, was just 19 when she died from complications of a 29-week abortion in 2005 at a now-closed abortion facility in Wichita. In 2013, Jennifer Morbelli, a 29-year-old kindergarten teacher from New York, died of complications from a 33-week abortion she received at a facility Carhartt was working at in Germantown, Maryland. Her daughter, Madison, had been diagnosed in utero with a seizure disorder. Mother and daughter were buried together. Operation Rescue has documented 27 life-threatening medical emergencies involving Carhartt's abortion patients in the two states between March 2012 and February 2022. He is also involved in two ongoing medical malpractice suits related to women who received injuries so horrific at his Maryland facility in 2020 that hospital staffers who treated them were offered trauma counseling, according to Operation Rescue. This undercover video recorded by the organization Live Action shows Carhartt explaining how he kills a baby at 22 weeks. Please be warned, it's not easy to watch. So I think for the doctors, it was a bit about putting a human face on their profession. They're proud of what they do. So I'll have a dead baby in me? For three days, yeah. Will it start to decay or something? Oh, it's like putting meat in a crock pot, okay? In a slow and, cooker. And what do you use to break it up? Just a whole what bunch of it. <laughs> <laughs> Got a toolkit. Yeah, a drill, but you know. <laughs> So what kind of procedure would I have to get done? It would be the same thing we do here. Um, it's just it would be um, a combination between a D&E and an induction. We would try to induce you to just deliver the baby. How do you do it? Like, because she said some, the nurse said something about a shot. We do Is a that... shot into the fetus to end the pregnancy the first day. Well, if everything works right, they come out. You just deliver them and they come out fine. Okay. I mean, if if um, if for some reason that doesn't happen, then we have to take them out in pieces. So the injection is what you stick inside the through, the, your through my the stomach. Yeah. And does the the needle hurt? You? Yeah. A little bit. Okay. But you probably won't remember it. Most people end up asking me what the bandage for the next day. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, and then. Um, Will I feel it like dying? Hmm? It's not even going to feel it dying. It's just the heart slows down and it just stops. Because I already feel it like yeah, it's moving kicking down. and moving. And After 20 weeks it should be. So I won't feel it like moving or anything? No, like probably within, within an hour of the injection you shouldn't feel it moving anymore. Am I going to be like in a lot of pain afterwards? Do you know? You shouldn't be in any pain also in Nebraska, a young man who helped a woman and her mother bury a baby after an allegedly illegal abortion has been sentenced to nine months probation and 40 hours of community service. Pro-Life Primetime News reported earlier this month that Celeste Burgess allegedly aborted her baby at 29 weeks in April with abortion pills her mother, Jessica Burgess, purchased online. Abortion is legal until 20 weeks in Nebraska. After the abortion, they allegedly burned and then buried the baby with the help of 22-year-old Tanner Barnhill, who was in court this week. 
His defense attorney said Barnhill, who has an IQ of just 75, is not the baby's father and thought he was just helping a friend. Celeste and Jessica Burgess are facing multiple felony charges and are due in court next month. The Biden administration's attempt to force Texas to perform abortions has been blocked by a federal judge. The Department of Health and Human Services issued a guidance last month that would allow abortionists to perform abortions in emergency situations. The judge this week ruled that the guidance went well beyond the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act and created a conflict in state law where one did not exist. Abortion remains legal in Michigan after a county judge last week ruled that Michigan's 1931 abortion ban cannot be enforced. Applauding the decision, Governor Gretchen Whitmer called abortion, quote, the most important economic decision a woman will make over the course of her lifetime. The pro-abortion Democrat will face pro-life challenger Tudor Dixon in November. With pregnancy resource centers still under attack by violent abortion advocates, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison is warning state residents that the pro-life centers try to dissuade women from having abortions. Life News reporter Makaya Bilger explained in her story on Ellison's Consumer Alert that pro-life organizations make no secret of the fact that they want to help pregnant mothers and save unborn babies from abortions. But discouraging abortion increasingly is being treated as a bad thing by the pro-abortion movement. Ellison's warning follows a report prepared by a pro-abortion alliance that claims the pro-life centers present unethical and false information. Minnesota is home to 90 pregnancy resource centers. The U.S. Senate is currently split down the middle with 50 Republicans and 50 Democrats. But with 34 seats up for grabs in November, one party could emerge dominant after the midterms. Pro-lifers are hoping Republicans win not just a majority, but a 60-seat supermajority. Earlier this year, analysts had predicted November would be a wipeout for Democrats. Midterms tend to be rough on the president's party, but Democrats are hoping the overturning of Roe v. Wade and abortion bans in effect in many states will galvanize voters this fall. But Americans are also fed up with inflation, gas prices, and the cost of living, which all happened under Biden's watch. More than any other state, Pennsylvania has a good shot at changing the balance of power in the Senate after the 2022 midterm election. Republican Senator Pat Toomey's retirement has left a rare power vacuum in one of the country's swingiest swing states. And Cook political report analyst Jessica Taylor, who is tracking key Senate races around the country, says that has led to a genuinely unpredictable outcome. There may not be a wider chasm in candidate contrasts, however, than in the Keystone State. Trump's endorsement helped celebrity physician Mehmet Oz hobble across the finish line in the May primary. He edged out former hedge fund CEO David McCormack by just 940 votes. In November, Oz will face pro-abortion John Fetterman, currently Pennsylvania's lieutenant governor. He received 59% of the primary vote, beating three challengers. Cook Political changed its rating of Pennsylvania's Senate race from a toss-up to lean Democrat, though it's not out of the question this could change as the election nears. Wisconsin voters formalized Democrat Mandela Barnes, currently the state's lieutenant governor, and Republican Senator Ron Johnson as the contenders in a pivotal general election battle that will help decide control of the Senate for the next two years. Johnson is the most vulnerable GOP incumbent this cycle, and he's the only sitting senator of either party representing a state that voted for the opposite party for president in the most recent election. The two-term senators' own numbers in the state remain low, a warning sign for any incumbent. 
The most recent June Marquette University law poll put Johnson at 37% favorable and 46% unfavorable. Abortion may be a wild card factor. There are signs that Democratic voters have been energized since the Supreme Court in June overturned Roe v. Wade. Anti-abortion groups in Wisconsin, meanwhile, are pushing for enforcement of a state law that's been on the books since 1849, banning the procedure except to save the life of the mother. Right now, abortion is illegal in the state. The, the race may also have implications for 2024 presidential election. Trump won the highly competitive swing state by less than a percentage point in 2016, and Biden won by a similar margin in 2020. Both parties will be looking to the Senate contest as a bellwether. On paper, Arizona should be one of the Senate Republicans' best targets to flip back to red. Democratic Senator Mark Kelly has had to turn around and run again for a full six-year term after winning his special election in 2020 by just 2.4 points. Biden carried Arizona by just three-tenths of a point. The Republican candidate, venture capitalist Blake Masters, is endorsed by President Trump and has spent more than $1.7 million on television ads. Nevada is shaping up to be one of the marquee Senate races this cycle, and it is believed first-time Senator Catherine Cortez Masto is the most endangered Democratic incumbent. This is a highly flippable race in terms of the balance of power in the overall Senate. Cortez Masto succeeded retiring Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid in 2016, becoming the first Latina elected to the Senate. Six years later, there are several reasons why she is seen as vulnerable. First, Nevada is a uniquely transient state. Half of those on the state's voter rolls have registered since 2016, when she was first elected. And even though Biden won the state by 2.4 points in 2020, an early April survey from Suffolk University put his approval there at a dismal 35%. While it's often seen as a blue state, it's far more purple upon a closer look. A quarter of the states is Hispanic, but many of those traditionally Democrat voters have moved toward the GOP in recent elections. In 2020, Biden won just 63% of Latinos, down from the 71% Hillary Clinton got there four years earlier. Unaffiliated voters became the largest block in the state last fall, with Democrats' longtime registration edge disappearing. More Democrats continue to re-register as Republicans and independents. Former Georgia football star Herschel Walker ran away with the ball in the May GOP primary, beating Agriculture Commissioner Gary Black by 55 points. Walker breezed to the nomination, skipping all primary debates and coasting on the endorsement of Donald Trump. He heads into the fall campaign with nearly $6.8 million on hand. The general election will pit Walker against incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock, who has proven to be a formidable fundraiser with a staggering $22 million in cash on hand by July. He is also a tested communicator, having spent the past 17 years as senior pastor at Atlanta's iconic Ebenezer Baptist Church. Still, Walker remains competitive as a result of high inflation and an economy seemingly headed toward a recession. Biden's approval rating is historically low in Georgia, measuring an anemic 36% in a July 27th poll. In a state that was decided by fewer than 12,000 votes in 2020, it wouldn't take many swing voters for Walker to get over the top. Recent polling has shown Warnock with a narrow edge, though it is frequently within the margin of error and indicative of a toss-up race. Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life, is an astute political observer. 
We've asked him to share his insights into these crucial Senate races. Hello, friends. Father Frank Pavone here. Uh, glad to share some thoughts with you about the U.S. Senate races. Of course, pro-life people are focused on all the U.S. Senate races taking place across the country. A third of the Senate is going to be uh, up for election, and we need to take the Senate back into pro-life hands. But uh, in particular, of course, uh, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin are being looked at closely and deserve special effort uh, in terms of uh, keeping the uh, Senate seat in pro-life hands. And uh, of course, to pick up additional Senate seats for the pro-life side, uh, the pro-life movement is looking at Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. One of the key strategic points that pro-life leaders are making is that the party matters. So in looking at these Senate races, one should not simply be considering, you know, what do I think about this candidate or what's going on in this particular state? They need to be considering the implications for the entire country and the entire movement in shifting the balance of power in the Senate. Right now it's evenly divided, as you know, but to get it under Republican control is what has to be paramount even more than what does one uh, like or not like about one particular candidate. So those are some of the thoughts going on and the discussions going on among the pro-life leadership. And of course, uh, we uh, work and pray for a good outcome. God bless you. Now we turn to a story of hope and healing. An unplanned pregnancy can derail a woman's plans for her life or lead her to choose abortion, which also has lifelong consequences. My guest this evening, Laura Lynn Hughes, was pregnant at 15 and chose to keep her child, even though she knew her life would never be the same. Laura is the author of Choose Zoe and co-founder of a movement of love post-abortive ministry. She's joined me tonight to tell us how she found her life's purpose through this unplanned pregnancy. Welcome, Laura, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Leslie. So you were pregnant at 15 and you chose to keep the child. Tell me how you made that decision and how your parents reacted to it. Oh, wow. I was so scared to tell my parents I was 15. And so I kind of let them guess. And I will never forget the night that my mom said, I'm going to tell dad that you're pregnant uh, when I pick him up from the airport today. And so I did what any responsible teenager would do. And I called up my boyfriend and I'm like, come get me. And so he took me in the getaway car and we parked by the church. And about 3.30 in the morning, I kept hearing my dad would always say, a baby is a blessing. A baby is a blessing. And so I got the courage up to go home, hoping that he wouldn't be awake yet. And so I walked up this like long walkway of shame. <laughs> and I'll never forget, I put my hand on the doorknob and I was like, please, God, let my dad be asleep. And I did the sign of the cross. And then I opened up the door and there sat my dad across the living room in his favorite green velvet chair. And he had his Coke bottle glasses on and he was reading the Bible and I just burst into tears and he walked over to me and put his arms around me and he said mom said that you're getting ready to have a baby and we're too old to raise another child and so all I ask is that you pray every day what's best for your baby whether you parent and we guide you or whether you place her in adoptive arms and he said now get to sleep you have school in a couple of hours <laughs> <laughs> and 
I'm telling you, man, his grace really took all the shame away and the fear that I had. Yeah, yeah, that's really, I mean, that that first that first reaction can really make a difference for, especially for a young girl like that. It does. So, I know there's a lot to your story that we're not going to get to tonight, but let's fast forward to your, your first daughter, Erica. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. She also found herself pregnant and she made a different decision. Can you tell us about that? Yes, sadly she did. And so I didn't find out until decades later. Um, in California, we don't have any parental consent or parental, parental notification. And so our children and teenagers are able to leave school and go over to Planned Parenthood and have an abortion. And so my daughter, she um, went through a lot of recovery. And so by the time she told me, she had already gone through um, different abortion healing programs. But then I found myself like in a fetal position for five days, just grieving. Didn't know you could grieve the loss of a grandchild. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted the baby and I wanted to go back in time and wish my daughter would tell me. And I wanted to prevent that. I would have never chosen that for her. And I would have never wanted her to go through anything so horrible um, mm -hmm. all by herself. Mm -hmm. how, how old was she? She was 17. 17, okay. And the good news is that uh, once I received my healing, the two of us, we serve uh, in a abortion healing ministry at our church. And it's really cool because, um, you know, women go in and they seek forgiveness and then they're able to be restored and live a redeemed life. And so God redeems anything that we bring to him. And yeah. it's really uh a pleasure to be able to serve in the church with my daughter in that capacity. Now you have a total of how many children and grandchildren? I have five children and 12 grandchildren. Um, and I I have, you mentioned to me that you're now a great grandmother. I am, <laughs> I am. She's six months old um, today. Oh, oh, that's wonderful. Now your book is Choose Zoe. Is that right? Yes. Tell me about how the idea for the book came about and what, what does Zoe mean? Okay. So, um, I serve in a pregnancy clinic here in California, and um, in one month, we had 12-year-old uh, girls come in, and there was three of them, and I just couldn't believe it. When the third one came in, uh, I was able to talk with her and show her the fetal development of her baby and kind of calm her fears and show her her worth, and then I had to call the authorities. And so we're mandated reporters, and after I did that, I went home that night, and I just cried out to God like, how can I help? And it was the middle of the night and I felt prompted to get up and write. And I began to write, choose Zoe. And Zoe is the Greek word for life in John 10, 10, because it says the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Mm -hmm. But I, Jesus, have come to give you life, which is Zoe, and mm -hmm. give you life more abundantly. And I believe it's the pro-abundant life approach that helps us to not only save lives, but to save souls. All right. So it's Zoe. I thought it was Zoe. Sorry about that. Well, it is pronounced Zoe. Mm -hmm. um, I always say choose Zoe because people think the baby is Zoe. And I've had um, some, you know, atheists and some pro-choice people that have picked the book up because it didn't say choose life. <laughs> yeah. And that's, they're the ones who need to read it the most. Yes. All right. So um, where can, where can we buy it? Um, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon. I'm Go onto my website, choosezoe.com, and I can connect with you there. I love to hear your stories. Oh, okay, great. So what, what words of encouragement can you offer to a, a young woman facing an unplanned pregnancy or parents whose daughter are, is facing an unplanned pregnancy? 
What would you say? Well, you know, there's always hope. And so we are made for love. We're made from love. And we always have the capacity to love. And so the word says that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And so it's love that helps us to calm the fears. And if you are a young lady, I would say um, there's always hope. You're, you're so worthwhile. And you're already a mom. You can go to any pregnancy clinic. You can research on option line to find a pregnancy clinic in your area. Parents, you can even go there to help your child. And this will also give you tons of resources, and they'll be able to walk you through all the choices that you make. And so you can make a decision that both you and your child can live with. All right, that's great. So as I said, you have a much bigger story than this. So Janet Moran is going to have you on her Just Ask Janet show. So viewers will let you know when that's coming up so you can hear the whole story. Okay. Laura, thank you so much for joining us. I forgot to ask you, where are you joining us from? Fairfield, California. Fairfield, California. All right, great. Well, thank you again for coming on. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Leslie. Bye. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will join us every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. If you have an idea for a story or would like to expose something in the abortion industry, please email us at media at priestsforlife.org. We hope that you will support this show and all of our broadcasts, including Just Ask Janet, Oceans of Mercy, Pro-Life is the New Punk Rock, and Primetime Live with Father Frank by making a donation to prolifegift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for Life. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. And I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.